Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer Clary. I'm a child and family therapist and a parenting coach and the founder of Connected Parenting. And welcome to the Connected Parenting Weekly Podcast. Join me every week and we'll tackle everything from temper tantrums to bedtime to sibling issues to teenage angst. Parenting can be so wonderful, but it can be so hard. Parents often say to me, hey, can you just come live at my house? This is the next best thing. Let's do this together. Hello, Connected Parents, and welcome to another episode of Connected Parenting. I am really excited today. Today, I am beginning my first uh, interview series um, where I want to interview amazing human beings with incredible stories, with very rich lives, who can share with us their knowledge, their expertise, uh, and really enrich us as human beings and also as parents. So I'm very, very honored. My very first guest is a good friend of mine, uh, Jimmy May. And Jimmy is uh, a retired Navy SEAL commander with 22 years of service. I don't even know how to explain this man's bravery, his leadership, the experience he's had uh, as a Navy SEAL. Uh, it, there really aren't words. He, he's like a real life superhero. Um, I, I think this is going to be an incredible conversation. Um, and I'm really, really proud that he's on the show. So just a little bit of background for you. Jimmy's developed and has taught curriculums on combat leadership to all uh, SEAL chiefs and officers in charge and combat ethics to the Naval uh, Special Warfare community and the Navy JAG community. Commander May has had seven deployments to the Middle East, uh, has an array of awards, including three Bronze Stars and the Purple Heart. He's experienced working across the globe in high stakes situations to find common ground across a wide uh, array of conflict scenarios. He completed his undergraduate work at Texas A&M and post-graduation studies at Harvard as an alumni of the Program for Leadership Development. Jimmy's also the CEO of Sushi Assassin, uh, an in-home sushi catering business for private events, and recently started Mayday Executive Services to help companies develop camaraderie and unit cohesion through shared intense experiences. He serves as CEO and board member of Beyond the Brotherhood, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Navy SEALs of character transition from uh, the teams to civilian sector and is a very sought after keynote speaker for events across a wide variety of organizations. Jimmy is fluent in Arabic, an avid spear fisherman, a surfer, a martial artist, and an amateur beekeeper. He resides in Ocean Beach, San Diego with his family. He's a father of three and prides himself on doing good things for good people. So I am looking forward to this conversation. I think it's going to be incredible. And so I would like to welcome Jimmy May. Okay, so Jimmy May, thank you so much for being on my show. I'm really excited. You know, you're my first guest. I've, I'm starting a series where I'm just talking to really interesting humans who have incredible stories to share. So I'm really honored that you're my very first guest. Well, this is my first uh, podcast. I've been invited to six and I have done zero. So this is my very first one. And Perfect. I've been officially retired for seven days from the military. So amazing, uh, amazing. Yeah. I had the honor of being at your retirement. What a moving, incredible ceremony that was. It was really beautiful. I was so proud of you, but also to see you there with your family. You did this sort of beautiful walk together at the end all together. And it was really moving. It was beautiful. And the things that were said about you is just incredible and I kept noticing your mom who was sitting quite close to me and I was thinking mm -hmm. about how 
obviously when, and you're a dad, you've got three kids, each of your children, I'm sure are very different as mine are too. They all have their own personality and their own um, strengths and you know, temperament and all of that. And as a parent, you have this incredibly delicate role of bringing out the best in your child. And uh, I kept looking at her. She looked so proud, so happy. Yeah, my mom, uh, I actually got a lot of feedback from, there's this like thing they do called the uh, old glory, which is like a flag read. They read this poem and they, people hand the flag and they give it to your mom. And uh, I kind of changed it up. I just kind of read from, I carried that flag on my back through Afghanistan for eight and a half months. And I kind of read all the places where that flag had been. And it was really cool to get to give her that flag. I think it, uh, she understood the significance of it. So it was pretty yeah, exciting. It's like a big deal for me. Oh, that was just very, very moving. So we, there's so many places I want this conversation to go. And you and I have had, I mean, we, we're friends. We've gone camping. We've done all kinds of stuff. We've had lots mm -hmm. of conversations and we talked about what an incredible place this would be to talk about who you are as a person, what you've done, what you're doing for the world, and also being a dad and also being a former gladiator kid, <laughs> right? So I, I was a gladiator kid. Uh, <laughs> yes, for sure. Right. So maybe we'll start there. So, you know, as you know, I mean, Connect to Parenting, we work with all kinds of families and you know, all kinds of kids. And, but I would have to say our specialty and where, where we, I think, do our best work is with gladiator kids who just for a quick definition are just really um, strong, sassy, feisty um, kids with bigger feelings that they have in their little bodies. And I personally believe that those are the kids that are going to go on and save us all, figure out things, bust down paradigms do what they need to do. And as a parent, it's really hard to raise a child like that because you don't want to squash their spirit. You don't want to crush them, but you also want to help and shape and mold them. So they fit in enough that they can be listened to, that they can be leaders, that they can be respected. And they're not always shoved to the periphery. So what, what were you like as a child? What kind of a gladiator child were you? So at a very young age, I got picked on a lot. I was a, uh, one of, I was a white kid in El Paso, Texas, which is, there were, our, my school had zero white kids and everyone, I was always huero. I speak Spanish decently to this day. And I still really enjoy and feel comfortable around the Mexican culture in general. Like I just, it's yeah. like just a comfortable place for me. Yeah. And uh, so I got picked on a lot. And I remember my, one day this kid, I still remember his name. Uh, he was on the street behind me and he came over. He was in sixth grade and we were in third playing football. And he would just play real rough with us. And I remember he tackled me and I got real mad and I got up to fight with him and he beat me up. And then uh, he was walking away and I got up yelling and bleeding and I chased him down and he beat me up again. And then as he was walking away, I got up again and started running and he just turned around and ran. He's like, what's wrong with you? And just ran off. And I remember like, I was just so mad, but I remember that was like one of the formative experiences of my life. Um, yeah. And then growing up, you know, my dad, I don't have like that ill will toward him, but we didn't get along at all. Uh, he died now. He died of bone cancer when I, right when I finished BUDS, uh, which is SEAL selection and training. But he, he was 20 when he had me, you know, like you're a kid. You don't really kid. know. Yeah. And he led through like physical intimidation and I hated that. Mm. And so about the age... 13 I started lifting weights and getting really into wrestling and I was a good wrestler and by about 15 my dad came in to like I remember he tried to push me on the bed and I grabbed him and just hooked him like right a little nice hip toss around to the bed and I looked at him and I said no more wow and he pretty much didn't talk to me again the rest of my time till I moved out 
like it was awkward i'd be at the table like hey can i have some salt and he just yeah didn't even look like he lost his role he didn't know who he was or how to interact with you anymore yeah and i really hated it back then but i, I look at now he was the kid man he was 21 years old he he didn't know so i didn't have much of a relationship with him and i got way into wrestling and football and uh, i did the rodeo for a couple years um and then i used to travel to mexico and i i just I'd drive across the border i'd fight in the, the boxing smokers down there and my parents were horrified at all this stuff, but there was nothing they could do. I just, I told them, I started paying rent when I was like 16. And I'm like, hey, I can pay rent here, pay rent somewhere else. It doesn't matter to me. So they kind of lost a lot of control. And my, my mom, as I always had a soft spot for my mom though, um, to this day, there's, you know, I try to really respect her because uh, she had a hard job because she was the only one that really was trying to wrangle me. And, I was a lot to wrangle and she had two younger kids who actually were a lot better kids than I was. Hmm. It's interesting because I, I do, I see that a lot in the parents that I work with and you see the, especially with the moms, like the, the fear that they have for their child. And, and I, I don't know if your mom knew that you were beat up by that kid, but you know, I talk to a lot of moms who, who know their kids are going through this stuff and they're having a hard time and they're not figuring and people don't understand them. You know, I, I call it being the mother of that kid. Oh, you're Jimmy's mom, mm -hmm. right? And and really not understanding that you you were a child just trying to figure it out and find your way, and you were this kind of fierce, intense child, and channeled it into incredible things, amazing things. Um, but it's it it's really a tough thing to, and you say wrangle, but you know how do you how do you help a child who has that much energy and that much fight and that much grit and that much spirit, which was just pouring out of you? You know, no. my, my mom, my mom, she supported me with like, my dad didn't like the fact I was wrestling in football. And looking back, I think it's because he was uncomfortable with the physical physicality I was gaining, mm -hmm. whereas my mom never tried to lead me that way. And so when she, uh, she went to all my wrestling matches, she went to all my football games. And my dad would go to my football games sometimes. He went to one wrestling match, but, um, you know, I, I placed in the state, I was a good wrestler and you know, it's weird. You would think your dad, most dads would be like, yeah, my son, you know, and we had a good football team. We went to state every year and we just, but my dad, uh, he just really didn't like it, but my mom did. And I remember I really appreciated when she would come to my matches and I always made it a point to look up in the stands and like, you know, tap my helmet so she could see me or after my wrestling match, I'd always come out and like, make sure that, you know, I said something to my mom. So yeah, I, sure. I, I appreciated that. That was effective. That's amazing. And she connected with you and she let you be who you were. Well, one thing that is very positive about my father, because I don't want to make him sound like he just, he was just doing the best he could, but he went, we got bone cancer. He decided to change his life and he apologized and made amends with his family because he had a really bad relationship with them. He also reached out to me and he just became this really awesome person the last two years of his life. And it was like, he just let things go. And, you know, he confessed the things that he thought he did wrong to people and made amends across the board. And then he held on for me when I was trying, cause I, I he was going to die. He was going to die. And I was in buds and they were like, Hey, we'll just send you home. You can come back and start, you know, back. And my dad said, you know what? He's like, I don't want to go to my grave knowing that because cause I've learned about the seal thing and a lot of guys don't do it, don't make it. So I don't want to be the reason you don't. So I want you to finish and I'll hold on for you. I'm like, Okay, Dad. Like, what do you want me to say? So, I did it. And the last day when you finish up, Bud, you're on this island called San Clemente. We're out there. And it was just cleanup. And I didn't. I told the instructors, I came in. 
my dad's dying. Can I miss clean up? And they were like, absolutely. We know all about you. Like we got it. And they would, they sent me home and I flew home and I, I walked into my, my mom's house and my dad was sitting on the couch and he goes, Jimmy. I was like, Hey dad, checked out after that. No, like he didn't, he didn't have any more coherent words. He was just like, just, and he had lost, he weighed like 82 pounds. And that night my mom was like, Hey, she was exhausted. She's been staying up with him for nights and nights. And I, uh, I'm like, yeah, I can stay up. I've been on the island. I've been sleeping like three hours a night for the last like couple months. And I was supposed to stay up with my dad and I fell asleep. And I remember at like 1.52 a.m., my mom comes in. She, and I was asleep on the bed next to my dad. And she's like, Jimmy, wake up. Your dad's about to die. I'm like, what? Sure enough, we got to do his last breaths. And then we called the coroner in this little town we were in. And there was this little lady that came out. She couldn't move in. And I remember my mom my brother, my sister, I went back to the bigger rooms. They're like, we can't do it. I'm like, I'll do it. And I, I picked them up like a bundle of sticks and walked them out to the, the coroner's car and put it in there. Wow. You know, so it was really cool that my dad hung on. So he hung on for I, you. I, 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 I said it. some, I said some bad things about, you know, about my dad early on, but like I said, I forgive him. He was 20 years old. He didn't know any better. He was a kid. Um, he was and he really, he really turned it around him. and I'm yeah. proud of him for doing that at the end of his life. That's amazing. That's a really beautiful story. I also want to talk about your life and the things that you're doing and the experiences that you've had. I think it, they're really powerful. So where, where would you like to start? Um, let's see. When uh, I, I left home at 18, I didn't know what I was going to do. I thought college was for rich kids. I just, and now everyone can go to college. You really can. It just takes a little bit of time to figure out where to get the money. But, yeah. you know, I, I didn't know what to do. So I went in the Navy. I, I asked, asked my family doesn't have a great history in the Navy. Most of them have been thrown out of the military, either army or Navy or got in trouble for some way. Mm-hmm. And I figured I'd go in the military. And after about a, I was a, I tested well. So I became a nuclear machinist mate. And after nuclear power school in the Navy, which is an academically difficult school, it was for me, some people it's not, but it was difficult for me. Sounds academically difficult. Yeah. I, I didn't like it. And uh, I fixed some lady's car on the side of the road on the way back from Daytona beach. And it turned out it was, a, it was a, the, in the gasket between the intake manifold and the upper radiator hose. No big deal. I bought some cut of gasket and fixed it. She gave me 30 bucks for pizza. I thought that was fair. And, uh, turned out it was the commanding officer's wife of my command. And so wow. a few weeks later, you know, uh, they had this big assembly and I'm stressing cause I need to study. And, uh, they call me up on stage and I see her, I'm like, Hey, and the, She's like, hey, this is my husband. And I was like, whoa, it's the big boss. And he asked me what he could do for me. And I said, you know, uh, I have an ROTC officer package in, but it's not going well. He goes, give it to me. And next thing you know, I I got a scholarship to go to college. That's incredible. Look at that. Look at how life sometimes just unfolds. Yeah, it was really cool. That's incredible. Okay, and then from there? And then I went to Texas A&M. Um, I showed up, I was in the Corps of Cadets, much to my horror. I didn't feel like being hazed and kind of, you know, messed with by a bunch of upperclassmen who actually haven't been in the military. So I ended up getting thrown out. Um, I did a couple of different things to lead that way, but I did get in a fight with my upperclassmen once because as a freshman, you're expected to like keep your room nice and stuff, but I had to have a job because I didn't have any other way to support myself. So I worked at Walmart, uh, initially. Uh, and then after that, I worked as a bartender at a local, like a kind of Outback style restaurant called Oxford Street. And uh, 
I came back one night and they had torn up my room and I walked in and my roommate's trying to pick up and I'm like, who did this? And he said the two names and I'm like, oh, I'll be right back. And I went into their room and they're, they were asleep in their beds. I tore their beds over with them in it. I tore the whole room up. I, I, I was so mad. And I went back to my room and I remember my upperclassmen were outside and they were trying to figure out what to do with me. And I was just so mad, like, you know, cause I felt like I'm working 30, 40 hours a week on the side. I come back in and you guys are going to try to play this game with me and tear up my room. Like, yeah. So I, my uh, career, in the, <laughs> I had to get thrown out. <laughs> uh, not for that reason. Uh, it's a funny story. You can cut it out if you want to talk about it. But of course, I get in trouble and I get what's called a restricted weekend. And I had to like check in at two in the morning, four in the morning, six in the morning for the whole weekend. And like any good uh, uh, troublemaker, I was getting drunk, trying to wake. And about two in the morning or four, one of those, I uh, had to go put my uniform on. And as I tied the straps that connect your shirt to your socks, we called them grandpa straps. I think they're called shirt stays or something. And uh, I was putting on, I noticed that like the desk I signed into is like chest high. So I don't actually have to put my pants on because they won't know. So I walk across campus without my pants on to check in, in my uniform. And uh, I ended up uh, ending my Corps Cadets career there. <laughs> but, the, well, but the Colonel was named Colonel Socklaven and he said, I don't know what to do with you, Jimmy, but we're gonna keep you in because I was prior enlisted. He's like, but no more Corps Cadets for you. And that's how my Corps career ended. As you're telling these stories, I'm imagining mothers listening and going, yeah, that could be my kid. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it, it's so clear though, through all these stories, you have this grit, right? You have this incredible life force, this, you know, just even gathering through and getting the golf balls. Like you just always were thinking about, I don't know, it just seemed like you're just such a fighter, like right from an early age. Um, I, I was always kind of, fighting and I think a lot of it was self-inflicted though I mean I, I made a lot of bad choices well listen it happens sometimes with kids you know who are like that who have this incredible I always say they have like bigger feelings than their bodies can control and regulation is an issue it's but they're really it's sort of like they have a lifetime of potential and greatness that's just in this tiny little body and what happens with with parents of children like this is you you either give up and you're like I don't know what to do with you I, I, I give up or you swing back and forth, screaming and yelling and then giving up. Or you do kind of what your mom does, which is just, I got to go with this. I've got to support what he's doing and I got to love him anyway. And I got to trust. You know, I work with a lot of parents who literally see their children's lives flash before their eyes. You know, the phone rings and they're like, oh my God, it's the school or what's he done now? And, you know, the, as a parent, you live with this pit in your stomach. And so a lot of what we try to help parents do is find the connection, love your child anyway let them be let them know that they're loved and they're enough and that you value this power that they have and help them guide that power and direct that power into things that can be really good so i mean you found wrestling you found there are lots of ways that you tried mm -hmm. to to channel this um so okay so you got kicked you got kicked out of that situation what happened what happened next for you so i kind of felt like everything was stupid i remember thinking everything's dumb like i went to the navy this is dumb I went to college. I never went to class. I mean, I seldom went to class and I had like a three, four GPA. I found a way around everything. I was like, oh, I, if I'm dating a girl who's, you know, got the old tests, I can, and I look at the teachers who have the grade distributions and I figure out who has the easier classes, then I could figure out how to like kind of short circuit the whole 
the whole program. That's kind of what I did. I had a good GPA. I just didn't like college. And I was talking to my uncle one day and he was, he was in the Navy. He had a good Navy career. Um, and I, I was like, Hey man, is there anything hard? Cause I got to go back to the Navy. He goes, the seals are hard. I'm like, Oh really? What, uh, what's so hard about it? He goes, I ah, don't do it though. I'm like, why? He goes, you won't make it. I'm like, why won't I make it? He goes, nobody makes it. Totally hooked. I'm like, that's it. Oh. That's it for you right there. I'm like, okay. And so I found a group of guys at my college that were interested in, you know, being SEALs. And I didn't know anything about it. I just wanted to try this test. I never actually thought about being a SEAL. I just wanted to learn about BUDS and go to BUDS, which was supposed to be this really hard training. And, uh, you know, I, I got selected to go. Uh, my grades weren't super good, but uh, we went to this like summer tryout thing at BUDS where you do like a week of BUDS. And I did well there and uh, I got a slot. So, you know. When I graduated, I got to go to the buds. Wow. So can you talk about that for a minute? Because that's probably the most famous thing that the thing that people know the most, I guess, about the SEALs is that that training. What what was what was that like for you? Well, so I got there was and they had a kid. Yeah. Was it as hard as you thought it was gonna be? It was the challenge I was looking for, we'll put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, because I, I just I felt like things weren't difficult. I don't know. I was looking for a challenge. And when I went to I got there, there had been a student died three, uh, in class 235. His name was Lieutenant Scott, and he died in the pool. So I'm in 238. So it's about uh, just a couple months later. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started off, and I remember I'd never been in the ocean. My first time in the ocean was a two-mile ocean swim. Like, I didn't know that you could swim that far in the ocean. Like, I felt like something was going to eat me, I, you know. But I kept waiting for the thing that would make, make me stop or make me quit, and it just never came. And uh, then during the first phase, we had 9-11 uh, happen. So mm. I watched the planes hit the, the World Trade Center at breakfast after a four-mile time run, getting ready to, I thought we were going to do another evolution, and my instructor sat us down. They're like, tell us the world's about to change. Wow. They did. Yeah, I think we can all remember where we were at that time. So you finally met a challenge that, that pushed you enough. It, that's so interesting too, because, and not everybody goes the route that you go, um, but you, you, everything seemed too easy, right? Everything seemed. You know, when, when, if something, a task isn't that challenging, I feel like I don't try. Um, yeah. I'm just like, oh, but what do I need to get to see? I'm, I'm done. And my youngest son is eight. He's the yeah. same way. He's like, yeah. my first two kids, they love the A plus, the hundred percent, the star on the paper. Can I do some extra credit? I'm like, am I done with this? Okay, good. Yeah. And when I see a task that I call a worthy task, but is really challenging, I'm like, oh. Now you're in. Yeah, I'm in. And then, and then I try hard. I know it's a problem. I just, that's just the way well, I know. And I don't even know if it's a problem. It's the way that your brain works. It's the way that you're designed. And it's, it's the way a lot of um, really strong, you know, gladiator kids operate. That if, if, if something's not relevant, why do it? And it's terrifying for a parent because you think, how are you going to get anywhere? What's happening to you? Yeah. And um, were you, and it sounds like you did a, a tiny bit, but like, were you the kind of kid that pushed back on authority, like teachers, principals? Or oh, yeah. 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 To this day, I actually guess my retirement, I posted on LinkedIn and my, uh, one of my COs, I wrote him back. It's like, you gave me my favorite fit rep, which is your fitness report. You get once a year, fit rep debrief ever. And it said, uh, Jimmy, 
there's a fine line between candor and insubordination. <laughs> and sometimes you don't know what the line is. And, and I started laughing and he looked at me. He's like, why is that funny? I'm like, because you're right. <laughs> absolutely right. Well, And it's such an interesting paradox because you had to some degree issues with authority and then picked such a, um, a structured life for yourself through the Navy SEALs. So, but I see that a lot. Like gladiator kids do like structure. They like structure that makes sense. They like rules that actually make sense and feel very comfortable and calm in those situations because things are predictable and um, and you know when to push back and when not to. But also gladiators just push boundaries all the time. So that's a really interesting paradox. Well, the teams just aren't as structured as you might think. Like, uh, especially when you go on, like your workup is, but once you deploy, it's actually kind of entrepreneurial as I step into the entrepreneurial world here. Like, you know, they'll drop you off in uh, some foreign country with a stack of money and, you know, 16 big tough dudes and a bunch of weapons. And your job is to figure out, hey, who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? What does this town need? How do we empower the good guys? If we have to kill the bad guys, how do we get rid of them? And then how do we, the next step is some development. So like, let's give them a well, give them a school, get, give them a reason to live, give them a reason yeah. to like have some buy-in and then we tie them into the government. So that's, it, and it's it's wide open. You land in one part of the country and it's one way and you land in different parts. And I've got seven deployments doing that. So um, it's that, it's that, a lot more wide open than you would think. Which makes sense. And that, but there, so there's like a, a, a bigger, broader structure. And then within there, you have all kinds of freedom to make decisions and make choices. Mm -hmm. And because you really are an entrepreneur, you were back when you were collecting golf balls, right? So. Yeah. And now I have a Mayday Executive Consulting where I do business consulting, no advertising. It's all word of mouth. And, I'm pretty busy. Mm -hmm. And then I've got Sushi Assassin, which mm -hmm. is my in-home sushi catering. And then my real passion is Beyond Brotherhood, which is my uh, nonprofit where it I don't make as much money doing it, but it definitely is a way to give back to the teams and it feels good. Yeah. I'd like, can we talk about that a little bit more? I think that's such an incredible project. That's such an important thing. Can you tell people about that? Um, yeah. So when I got out of, I went to business school and after business school, I was like, I need to do this business school muscle thing. And so I went and started Sushi Assassin with a great friend of mine named Aaron. He is just a phenomenal chef and uh, he runs most of the business, but I just wanted to learn how it worked. And then uh, I went to, I got offered a lot of really high end jobs on my way out of the military, paying really well, like money that I've really never understood having uh, with my background. And then, but it just felt kind of hollow and I wanted to do something to give back to you know, I feel a lot of gratitude to the SEAL teams. They have taken good care of me. Um, you know, they, I've been such a troublemaker and they didn't break me, but they steered it in a good direction. And then, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of things wrong, but you saw my retirement, you know, we had uh, Admiral Bradley was like, who is this guy that, you know, launched the AV-8s and sent off, you know, moved the USS Boxer and did all these things without proper permissions. Uh, but he really taught me about mentoring and kind of guided me back in the box and kind of gave me a new mission to give back to the teams. And I'm much more at peace doing it this way. And I don't, how much money do you need? You know? Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. That's really wonderful. Well, the other thing I wanted to kind of talk about too, is this idea of, we had an amazing conversation about some of the stuff you've gone through, which I would, if you're comfortable, I'd love to, to touch on that. So, um, so you've had some pretty incredible experiences and you've seen other people go through some pretty incredible experiences and, you know, stress and anxiety and PTSD, they're 
really like it, people who haven't gone through it, anxiety and PTSD, it's, it's excruciating in the body. And I would love to hear you ha- sort of have a conversation about what kinds of things you've seen and how you've helped people. So now I teach combat leadership in, uh, in the SEAL teams and they still have me do it even when I'm retired. Um, I don't, we'll never charge the SEAL teams for anything. Um, one of the, the event that we were talking about before was we had two guys and one, I was on my second deployment. I was a younger guy and he ended up, uh, it was a rough deployment. We had out of 32 of us, we had 16 purple hearts, I think. So that purple heart means you got shot or injured by the enemy. And we had three killed on that, on that deployment. And uh, this guy had been there for six months and he's, I mean, I have full respect for him. I'm not going to ever see anything bad about him. Um, but he had taken a round of the plate and the plate stopped the round. It was a bigger round than what usually it's usually hits you. It was a 762 by 59, which is like a really big sniper round from Dragunov, which is a Russian made sniper weapon. Hit him in the plate, kind of went through his magazines, caused a little fire. And, you know, we were all kind of giving him a hard time. Like, you know, in, in my mind, like, oh, it didn't hit him. It's fine. You know, we'll go back out. But he really struggled. And I, I was on my second platoon. So second platoon guy doesn't know that much. Like you think, you know, it's like the teenagers, the SEAL teams, like the yeah. first pump, you're a new guy, you're a good guy, but you're a new guy. Your second pump, you're a teenager. You think you know everything. You, think you know it. Yeah. And then your third pump, the blinders come off and you're a Jedi. You've got all this extra capacity you can give to other people. But wow. it's about the seven year mark is when that hits mm-hmm. for most guys. I mean, there's a continuum guys, but mm-hmm. anyway, so I was in that young teenage. I didn't, I was like, I was fine. And he was really struggling. And, um, you know, long story short, we ended up sending him home and we just sent him home. We're like, Hey, just, we'll give him a, we said he had to go to an explosive school and it was important for his, but I mean, that's not as important as staying and fighting in combat, but they gave him an out. He took it and went home. And then uh, a couple, when I, I came, I stayed a couple of months beyond their deployment. Uh, I spoke Arabic. I speak Arabic. So I got to stay, I asked to stay longer and I did. So I got home in December after I'd gotten shot as well. And I saw him walking across what's called the grinder and buds, which is like this big black top with frog feet painted on it that, mm-hmm. the, you know, the candidates work out on. And he walked up to me and he's like, Hey man, you ever think about that, that bullet, how hard it hit you. And I just looked at him. I was like, no, not really. Why? And he was like, yeah, I mean, neither. And walked away. And, you know, the truth of it was I wasn't ready to talk about it. Like I had just been shot like maybe five weeks earlier and I just kept working. So I hadn't really dealt with it because I got shot. I was back to work the next night for another three or four weeks, I think. Huh. And I hadn't gotten the point where I could talk about it. And so I really let him down, but he struggled. I know he struggled. Um, he was working in uh, one of our training. I know exactly where it was working, just trying to, protect his anonymity yeah, of course, he of was course. working in one of the one of the phases and i know he was struggling a lot and drinking and we just didn't do much we just sent him home and that was it um and so there's a lot of things that are wrong there fast forward two years later i'm on my sixth or seventh sixth tour uh, i'm the troop commander i've got like uh 84 assaulters working for me and then another like 100 ish tech support pe- folks who are like some of them go outside the wire, but most of them do our stuff like Intel or admin or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're in Afghanistan and I, we had a guy get, he was, a, he is, he's still on the team. Phenomenal, phenomenal dude. Uh, 
Mexican dude, hardcore. Uh, he was walking point man up next to the Afghanis. And he sees that Afghani about to step on IED, which is like a landmine, improvised yeah. explosive device. And he runs up to stop him and they can't get there fast enough. The guy steps on it, boom, blows it up. The dude like is blind. He can't see, both his eyes are blown out. Um, I was not on the op. Um, I was, I received him when he, they're gonna fly him out of country. I received him at Bagram, I believe, which is like a, a base in, in Afghanistan. And I went up to him. I remember he was sitting in this thing and he was, he, he wasn't, they said he wasn't responsive. He has bandages over his eyes. And I kind of like reached out to him like, hey brother, it's me, man, how are you doing? And he like struggled to sit up and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he was through his sign language and pantomime because he can't talk. He's got a trach in, which is like a hole in your throat. He's eventually is like, hey, I, I want to come back. And I'm like, you know, choking back tears with this guy. Like, hey brother, you don't need to do anything. But I'm on my sixth, my sixth pump and I know, and I'm like, okay, hey, listen, I got a job for you. Like, I want you to, I want you to send back, you know, videos, stay in touch with the guys. It's really important that you do that. The guys need to, they need to do that. And if you can rehab to a point where you can come back, I'll bring you back, whatever you want to do. I'll put you, you might not be able to run around with the guys, but you know, if you want to come back and work in one of the task force, like a special operations task force offices or something, I'll, I'll make it, make it happen. And so he went back and, you know, I went out to, to spend a couple of weeks with this platoon to see how they were doing. He was sending them videos. He was, and so we'd get ready to go on the op and we'd see him like running on the treadmill, like putting out. And I was like, dang, this guy and the guys got really fired up and it was a really good two-way street. They all stayed in touch uh, and he was working, trying to get back. He didn't make it. Uh, he wasn't to the point, but he did make it back into the teams. And not only that, he's operating to the state. He got back and there were some people that gave him a hard time because they're like, well, he only has one eye now. He doesn't have depth perception. He can't do close quarters combat. He can't do skydiving. And I, and, uh, I was livid at this, this group of people saying that. And mm -hmm. uh, I remember I told him, like, hey, man, they want you to go back through SEAL qualification training. How do you feel? They go, absolutely. I'm like, well, you only have to do three blocks. And he goes, no, I'm going to do them all. I was like, okay. So he went through. And not only that, he was the honor man from the class and the first enlisted guy to ever speak at a, uh, at a SDT graduation. And I'm so proud of him. He, uh, That's incredible. Yeah. But the, the takeaway here though, is, you know, the first guy we turned him loose and he didn't know what to do. Yeah. The second guy, you know, we sent him out and we went and did, we, we gave him a sense of purpose. He's trying to get mm -hmm. back. We mm -hmm. tied him into a community because he don't want to talk to the Sykes. He wants to talk to his boys. And, yeah. you know, we, he had those couple things going. And uh, I think it really made all the difference. There was no profession. I'm sure there might've been some professional psych involved. I didn't do that, but I think tasking with those things was an important and powerful thing. Well, because it became bigger than him, right? He was doing it for for the guys doing it for the guys he that's was right if this happens to you you can do this too like that's a that's amazing that purpose and you know it's hard too because the first guy i mean you and i've talked about that and i you've reflected on that a lot but i also think you know the the first that the first man who went through that and you didn't know what to do and you weren't ready to talk about it, you had your own trauma i mean you'd been through an incredible amount it, it doesn't um, mean i absolve myself of not doing the right thing because right. i have not 
Like that is a, uh, it's a, it's a heavy weight that I carry. No, no, I I get that. But I think he also taught you something important that was able to help the other guy and maybe many more people Mm -hmm. after that. There's this interesting web in life. That's so much easier to see when you look backwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's not, I mean, you have to carry what you have to carry, but I do think sometimes we have to learn things in really real and hard ways. We don't learn when we're comfortable. I mean, I'm telling you that you're a Navy SEAL, but the truth is we learn when, and you, you know, there's a difference between toxic shame, which is I'm going to beat myself up and I'm going to hate myself forever and healthy shame, which is, you know what, that wasn't my best. I could have done better. Or I should have done better. Or I will do better. Or I'm out of harmony with my community or my family. Cause I didn't like how I handled that. And, you know, understanding that there's nuances to emotions, shame is not a bad thing. There's two types, right? Anger too. There's healthy aggression. There's healthy anger. There's important anger. There's anger that saves people. And then there's toxic anger that just hurts people and is poisonous and awful. So I think, you know, I think there's something to be learned in both of those situations. Um, well, I, did, I didn't learn it from the first time. I did learn it for a long time. Yeah, mm-hmm. What it ended up happening was they, they mean a couple of guys I really respected. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my, my friend Jocko was teaching combat leadership and mm-hmm. then they wanted to like put someone else new in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, they asked me to do it. And I was like, no, I'm not the right guy. I don't have a good combat record. I, I don't want to do it. And the, uh, this, I remember this master chief, uh, his name is, well, his name is Jason. And uh, he goes, he's like, you're going to do it. And so I decided to thwart myself and talk about nothing but stuff I screwed up so they wouldn't ask me to do it again. And it was a difficult conversation. Like it was hard for me. I had like, I didn't want to talk about those things because I would make, I would sleep badly. I would just feel sick to my stomach. I got punched in the stomach. I hated it. I was ashamed of, you know, the decisions I made and the judgment the guys were going to pass on me for, you know, guys get hurt on my watch and uh, there's responsibility for that. And uh, I was, I didn't, I thought, okay, they won't ask me to do that again. And it turned out to be a, a popular thing and they had me do it again and it got easier. And I saw that the, the guys in the community were, uh, they were forgiving of, you know, my mistakes. And uh, it was, a, it was a heavy thing, but it was also cathartic. It taught me. I learned a lot, and I didn't wasn't have to hide anything anymore. Yeah. And uh, it was a good thing for me. And so I still do it to this day. I'm retired now, and they asked me to. I got my next one coming up in February on the East Coast, so I, I'm still doing it as, as long as it's good for them. What you were doing was being real and honest and authentic and vulnerable, right? Even though you did it in the beginning to be like, ah, I'm going to be so I'm going to do such a bad job with this, they won't want me back. But people heard the truth, and and the truth is, everyone feels that way. Right. I'm sure everyone carries, I mean, obviously in your situation and, and the men that are, you know, can see the things that you've seen. And I mean, it's huge, but all human beings often feel very flawed, right. And very aware of the mistakes. So when people actually get up and they're not fake and it's real, that's true inspiration, right. That, and that actually took a lot of bravery. It did. No, it didn't. It took, it took Master Chief <laughs> Jason telling me to do it because I said, no, you made you do it. <laughs> He, made he did. He did. He's a good man. And he, he knew it was best for me. So. Wow. Wow. Jimmy, I mean, it, it's, it's such an honor to have you on the show. And, you know, I, I'm sort of in awe, like you're kind of like a real life superhero, the things that you've done and the experiences you had, most of us can't even begin to relate to it, honestly. So, you know, it's just very moving. And the way that you look at your life and you examine things and you're, you're thinking about 
how can I bring this to people? How can I help make people's lives easier, especially with Beyond the Brotherhood? I think that's really something amazing. So Beyond the Brotherhood is something that I, so if people don't know, but in the SEAL teams, we lead the league in suicide. Like it is a, and it's not the bad dudes. It's the good dudes that are doing it. It really is. And uh, I, I thought about why that is. And someone once told me that, well, the good guys think about the decisions they made and how it affected other people. And it's painful for them where the turds don't think about that. You know, yeah. They just, they're just trying to get to their next rank or whatever. Right. So it's these good guys. And I was like, I don't, I have my own opinions about how I think it, it gets started. I think there's a, a medical aspect where your brain gets hit so many times that you don't think like you're supposed to. And it's not just hit, it's explosions and concussions and stuff. And I think there's also an aspect of our guys are better at it. We understand how to take life. I don't know that there's very many failed seal suicides. Like we know mm-hmm. what it takes to end a life. And so once yeah. the guys decide they're going to do it. Yeah. And then the last aspect is the brotherhood is a very tight, tight place. And when you get ripped out of that, some guys, it's a big part of their identity. And I think that they're kind of reeling and it seems like it hits them after retirement mostly. Mm-hmm. And that's when we're seeing this. And so with Beyond the Brotherhood, I'm hoping to create a community of high powered guys, put them in, you know, give them every opportunity, give them the training they need, put them in like high places in our, in our, uh, in our industry in America and to build this community that these guys can fall into and really get after this suicide program, uh, this uh, problem. Yeah. You know, there's lots of other aspects to it. That's the aspect I've chosen to take. That's my share of the task. There's other guys who are doing like, you know, treatment with the, the mushrooms, like uh, Marcus Capone over at Terra Mind is, you know, he's got great things going. The Seal Future Foundation has got a lot of regenerative medicine. But yeah. my niche is my niche is going to be this community and, uh, and building yeah. it. Well, and, and giving them incredible purpose and to use their unique skills. That's incredible. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. I love what you're doing. I think that's just inspirational. I think it's amazing. I think the magic is in giving them an opportunity to give back through Beyond the Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Not doing, like, we're going to do stuff for them. But I think what's really going to be the magic is when they can circle back and do well, stuff for the guys behind them. That's yeah. what they're going for, right? Yeah. That's all they know. So yeah. that's amazing. And wow, that's incredible. So tell people, how can people find out more about how to support Beyond the Brotherhood? Where can they find you? Where can they find more information about you and what you do? Um, so I'm building this plane as I fly it. I, there's a lot of things I don't know. If you have some information or a, a skill that you think I should know, then you can hit me up. It's uh, uh, beyondthebrotherhood.org. We also own the domain name for beyondthebrotherhood.com, which okay. will kick you to the .org site. So if you mess that up, it's not a big deal. And then it says like, you can click email our staff. I am our staff. So when you, when you click email, it goes right to me. Um, so uh, if you... Uh, if you have something that you're interested in offering or a skill you want to provide, and of course, we're looking for corporate partners who you know, want to be more involved. I feel like a lot of uh, charities are a black hole you dump money into, but if you want to know where it's going and you want to meet the guys, then you know, we can do that. We can set up an, an event. We'll come out there. We're doing an event at, with NASCAR coming up next week with the number three and number eight cars, uh, the uh, Richard Childress Racing um, facility in North Carolina, and we're going to do a pit stop. So we've got a bunch of CEOs from different companies. Fray.com is coming out with the phenomenal dudes. And they're going to, we're going to do this, uh, this pit stop with us and some of our candidates, and we're going to make some media content. And hopefully this is the first of an annual event. 
Awesome. And we have another event coming up the 10th to 14th of July, which is going to be in coordination with uh, Bass Pro Shops and Big Cedar Golf Course over in uh, in Missouri. So there's a lot of things we have coming up and ways guys can get involved. And, you know, if you have unique skills and talent, like I told my guys in platoon, if you can do something, figure out a way to wield it for the team. Awesome. Jimmy, that's awesome. And what you're doing is awesome. And it was a real honor having you on the show. I'm really proud to have you as my very first guest and really proud of all the amazing work that you're doing. So thank you so much. It was an awesome conversation. Well, I'm honored to be uh, your first guest and you're my first uh, podcast. So thank you so <laughs> much for having me. And uh, I know I will see you soon, Jim. All right. Thank you. Thank you everyone for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with retired commander, Jimmy May. I'm looking forward to bringing uh, more amazing guests on board in the future. So I'm looking forward to many more conversations. If you'd like more information on Connected Parenting, please go to connectedparenting.com. We've got all kinds of services there for you. We've got our village where people can join together in a community with a Connected Parenting practitioner helping you with all, answer all your parenting questions and practice some of the techniques. We've got a whole team of people at Connected Parenting where we see people from all over the world. We've got my books, Connected Parenting, How to Raise a Great Kid, and You're Ruining My Life. Uh, surviving the teenage years with connected parenting. Um, we also have our masterclass and there's two versions of that. There's one with just videos, you own it for life, where I walk you through all the connected parenting methodology. And then there's another version where I interact with everyone in a Facebook group um, and also in monthly coaching calls. So we try to put all kinds of things together for you at Connected Parenting to help you along with your parenting journey. Thank you so much for joining me today and I'll see you next time on the next episode of Connected Parenting.